Well, hello, everyone. We have our first podcast takeover today. Ace is taking a well-deserved break, and instead you're going to be listening to the wonderful tones of my voice, Laura Staples, Head of People and Performance at Laminex. Now, I've got a really exciting guest with me today, and we're about to get into a topic that I'm super passionate about, something that has become even more important since so many of us are continuing to work remotely and that work-life balance is becoming more and more blurred in the new world of work. So today we're going to explore the important topic of well-being and the correlation between well-being and high performance. So I think this is a great time to introduce our wonderful guest, Dr. Adrian Medhurst. Adrian is a speaker, author, and thought leader specializing in well-being science and performance psychology. He's the co-founder of Benny Button, a data science business helping organizations drive performance through understanding and enhancing their employee well-being. So welcome, Adrian. G'day. It's great to be with you today. Um, And yeah, I'm excited that uh, your takeover has me um, supporting you. It feels like a a kind of an edgy role to be playing in here. Um, It wasn't hostile, was it? No, no, not a hostile takeover, which (laughs) Ace is um, taking some time off to uh, recover and look after her own well-being at the moment. Now, Adrian, I've got plenty of questions to ask you today, but before I do that, I wanted to tell you about an exciting new approach to goal setting that we're taking at Laminex. So for the first time ever, we're introducing a wellbeing goal to our performance goals this year. And we're doing this because we're really serious about people's wellbeing, so much so that we believe that it belongs alongside our strategic objectives. Now, our approach is called Goal Mastery, and it's the combination of performance, development, and wellbeing goals that will drive meaningful progress for all of our people towards our strategic business outcomes. So the big question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind is why? Traditionally, this is something that's existed in life, um, in the work-life balance equilibrium. So why should this creep into the work side? That's why I thought it'd be great to talk to you today, an expert in performance psychology, to help us understand why this work and wellbeing topic is just so important. Um, So I'm going to throw this over to you now and maybe you could help our listeners understand a little bit more about the relationship between performance and well-being and how have you seen other organisations do this really well? Yeah, well, uh, so good to hear that you're um, taking the well-being side of things really seriously, but not only that, getting committed to it by having um, goals and and measurement in place because you're right that it does belong um, together with performance and these two coming together are key to growth and development so let's dive in I mean if we even just start with looking at what well-being is about there's a couple of pieces that are really important for us to bring together to understand well-being but in doing that we actually understand how it's linked with performance as well so well-being is a combination of feeling good and functioning well and the World Health Organization even puts that forward so feeling good, feeling happy, uh, being experiencing positive emotion, having a having a um, healthy, mentally healthy headspace, and and um, feeling a level of fulfillment with what you're doing, being being energized. Like so, feeling good is a core component of well-being, but functioning well is a component as well. The two come together, 
And functioning well means being able to think and behave and interact effectively. And so we can see that in the definition of well-being itself is a level of functioning that enables us to perform. So when performance is about how we can effectively demonstrate our skills on tasks to contribute to an individual or collective outcome or output, it draws on our well-being and our functioning so that we can perform at our best. And I'll hit the pause button there. <laughs> so I just want to dive a little bit deeper into that notion of well-being. What do you think that actually looks like in a workplace? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the trajectory that I think could be helpful for us to talk about at this point, because the other part of well-being that I think is important to talk about is that the sort of the traditional medical model has tended to see health, well-being, mental health as largely um, identifying and addressing ill health or risks or injuries. So that um, sort of more pathological model of where are the risks and how do we mitigate against them or how do we resolve them once we identify them? So that traditional health um, and medical model. And that's actually carried forward into the more traditional health and safety model as well. How do we identify in a workplace the risks associated with poor uh, physical or mental health and safety in the environment and so forth. Um, but that's not the complete spectrum of well-being, and it's particularly important that we identify that for businesses. You're not well just because you're not sick. You're well when there's the presence of goodness. So not just the absence of illness, the presence of goodness. And this actually gives us an opportunity to think very full spectrum about well-being and its role and to explore how do we actually build our well-being capacity so we're feeling good and functioning well um, because that's good as an end in and of itself, um, not purely to look at where are the health and safety risks, where is well-being compromised and how do we recover. What we find when we actually add this well-being promoting um, extension on the continuum is the more well-being that we promote, the less likely we are to experience the risks that we continue to see in our businesses. The more resources from a well-being perspective we have, feeling good and functioning well, that act to buffer against the demands or the issues or the risks that come our way. So in organisations, what we're encouraging is, is, a, is a broader spectrum and this maturity moving beyond the traditional health and safety movement into this proactive well-being um, and capacity building movement. I can see myself already going off um, the questions that we kind of discussed earlier, but some of the things that you've just mentioned there I think is really relevant to the notion of purpose and how the relationship between um, organisational purpose, the connection that our people have with the organisation purpose, the impact that that has on an individual's well-being when they come to work. Can yeah. you... Tell me any thoughts that come to mind when you think about the relationship between purpose and well-being. Yeah, look, what I will say is that purpose becomes a really um, powerful ingredient in bringing well-being and performance together. Uh, when a person feels a level of connection or alignment with a purpose, uh, whether that's a job-related purpose or the organisation's purpose or both, hopefully, um, then that can help them to anchor their attention and energy towards 
um, the performance, the functioning, and the, the contribution that brings out the best of themselves. Because it's been identified that this is something that is meaningful to them and that there's a level of fulfillment that comes through engaging with something that's purposeful. So that's, that's one piece of the puzzle that I think is important to call out. Um, from a well-being perspective, not just this sort of performance piece, um, this is where I'll sort of touch on that word again, fulfillment. So beyond just being satisfied with your job or feeling um, a level of, uh, I guess, commitment to what the business is trying to achieve or what your job is, um, is about, fulfillment adds this um, energetic and emotional component that's, that's really important. Um, we don't just intellectualize doing good work. Um, we, we feel into doing good work as well. And, and I think that's an important distinction. I think that also helps with our employees or individuals being engaged in the work that they're doing. So the more engaged in the work that they're doing, um, the positive impact that's going to have not only on their role, but the stakeholders they have around them or the customers that they're interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I yeah. think um, some of the conversations that I've been having and, and certainly as we're rolling this out across the business and we're starting to talk to our leaders around the responsibility that they've got in terms of their team's well-being, it's, um, it's something that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because traditionally we've always had our performance goals or our development goals, but now we're introducing this notion of a well-being goal so that we can kind of continue to blur that work-life balance um, and hold each other accountable because we know that in order to be able to introduce good habits and change our ways of working and introduce these concepts around well-being, you need accountability and consistency. So that's why we thought by introducing a well-being goal into the mix, you're having that transparent conversation between employee and manager and you're saying, you know what, something that's going to be really important to my success is making sure that I'm getting up from my desk every day and I'm going for that 20-minute, half-an-hour walk that I need to in order to get some fresh air or, or think a little bit clearer about a problem that I'm trying to solve and saying to your manager, that's what I want to do, please hold me accountable for that. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh, it's it's so important, and you can um, you've just given one example of how a person might craft a well-being goal that serves them, and this is absolutely where a more personalised uh, approach is is really needed because there isn't a one-size-fits-all to this, and um, an individual needs to run their own race, and depending on the circumstances that they have in their work and in their life, um, they may need to put quite different wellbeing goals down on the table and having that discussion with a leader, I think is really powerful. And then making sure there's a level of accountability to really um, not compromise on something that's going to be integral to their job performance and functioning, but also integral to them being a well-rounded human being. Um, because when we can support people in being, um, in living a rich, full and meaningful life, um, there's the opportunity side there that that translates into how they perform in their job, but also how they conduct themselves um, within teams and as part of an organisational culture. So I very much celebrate what you're doing. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's the physical aspects of well-being. There's also the, the mental and emotional side of well-being. And I think there's some great examples of goals that our people might introduce 
in order to top up their ment mental or emotional well-being uh, bucket as well. And that could be as simple as crafting, putting some time aside in your diary each week to have a virtual cup of tea with someone in another team. It's having that social interaction. It's being able to take a moment to pause, take a deep breath, and just connect on a social level to someone else, um, you know, working in the business that might be experiencing the same things that you are. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think um, when we look at these different options, and we could go into even more options for crafting wellbeing goals, but it's all about being resourceful and 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 being proactive about the resources that you need to fill up for yourself uh, that you can then call on um, in the times that you need them to 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 function and perform effectively, not just at work but in your life outside of work as well. Because one person's uh, virtual cup of coffee might be another person's 20 minute walk, might be another person's opportunity to actually have a little side hustle project where they're working on a personal development goal, um, training some sort of um, interest of theirs um, that's quite separated from uh, their work. That might be a really valuable pursuit for that individual. And you're absolutely right that whether it's lifestyle related health and wellbeing goals, whether they're work related, um, that will enable a person to feel and function at their best um, when it comes to being in the workplace, or whether it's emotional and psychological well-being. A, a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment is helping people to think about this idea of being resourceful as the very feature of resilience, because resilience kind of gets this rap as a bounce back from setback, but it's overly simplistic. Resilience is actually about being resourceful, which means to draw on your resources to buffer against challenges and potential setbacks to come your way, um, to be resourceful to actually learn and grow through periods of challenge when you're out of your comfort zone or when you're responding to some sort of adversity and bouncing back is, is part of it for sure. Um, so this idea of being resourceful and to actually think about, okay, for me right now, where do I need to prioritise my attention and energy? What goals and actions um, are going to be important for me to hold myself accountable for. And then sharing that accountability with leaders and with a team um, really uh, hopefully help people to stay on track and to, to learn from each other's experiences in that too, which I think would be really, really important. Um, because there are so many threats to uh, falling out of sync, compromising your wellbeing goals. Many people um, we might find are have been in a habit of give, 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 perform, push to the extent that they sacrifice their well-being and are at risk of burning out. So if that's a pattern for an individual or for a culture that's been around for a while, it may take some time to make sure that integrating this well-being goal um, and the potential for relapse that can come people's way, that we actually um, really do commit to that mission and, and build a level of momentum with that joint uh, well-being and performance orientation. This could be a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about cognitive load and that notion of being overworked and overwhelmed, which I do hear our people say on occasion as well. So I've seen some of your models where you've got um, being stressed out or burnt out um, as zones that people could actually enter in after a period of high performance. Um, how do you think we can support our leaders with enabling their teams to avoid the burnout stage 
Um, but more importantly, what do we do if someone is feeling burnt out and and how can we get them out of that? Yeah, I mean, how long do we have now? Because no, <laughs> there's there's a deep well that we can um, that we can dive into here. But to to start off, because uh, I think it, it is important to point out, we, we're talking about well-being and performance, and if we're even to sort of almost draw a little model for people, they can draw it in their heads if they're listening. But if they can see us. We can see that performance is one axis. Well-being is an interdependent um, phenomena. So it, it's, it's, it can run uh, to intersect performance. So we think about it as a, a vertical and a horizontal axis. And this sets up the space from low through to high levels of well-being and low through to high levels of performance. And um, as a result, the combinations that we can get uh, include um, burning out and, and feeling very stressed out or even shutting off um, when, we're, when we're struggling significantly. So burning out is when we're pushing to perform, but we've been neglecting or sacrificing important wellbeing resources in the process. So we burn out the required resources and energies so that um, we're exhausted, um, our confidence in our ability to maintain high performance can be lost, and, and we suffer significantly as a result to the extent that we either exit the burnout context or our performance cannot be sustained at a high level and we slide, performance slides, and we end up in this um, quadrant that we call the shutting off zone where people are stressed out, sick, disengaged, cynical, and so forth. This is where wellbeing and performance are now both compromised. So they're not pleasant zones to be in, but it does happen because the well-being and performance, and let's bring in the work and life dynamic, these fluctuate over time. There can be a level of stability if we are in harmony, prioritizing well-being and performance simultaneously, not focusing so much on work that life gets neglected. So we can have a level of stability when we focus on bringing these pieces of the puzzle together. But there are also trade-offs that happen. And so um, to come back to what individuals and what leaders can talk about that cuts through this complexity a little bit um, is to, to look at these dual forces where we have demands in our work and life that require our resources and energy. And then we have the resources that we need to engage effectively um, with those demands. So the resources can be the well-being capacity, feeling good and functioning at your best so that you can actually engage with the demands that are on your plate. But these are uh, needing to operate in a level of balance. So if the demands become too great for an extended period of time and they don't match the level or type of resources that you have available, then that mismatch um, can be very challenging. And this is actually pretty much the definition of stress. The load is greater than the ability to cope and we experience an activation of stress. There's a threat. Our alert system tells us that we're at risk and we need to engage with and work through that challenge um, before something breaks. So I'll hit the pause button there, but that's bringing a few pieces together that hopefully help you see, well, how do we fall into this burning out zone? What happens if that's not addressed? And, um, and a way that I think leaders can start talking about this and bring it into dialogue is to really explore the, the linkages and mismatch or imbalances between the level of demand and the resource that's available. I watched this um, and her name slips me at the moment, but I watched this fantastic TED talk um, that was referred to me recently about triaging your life. And it was a emergency department doctor 
who um, I guess basically said that ED doctors are never stressed because they're able to apply this triage principle of all of the the uh, tasks and activities that are coming at them into red, amber, and green prioritization. And when they when they apply that thinking to all of the crazy things that are happening around them, they're able to very quickly uh, triage what they need to apply their attention to uh, immediately versus what can potentially wait because it's obviously not life-threatening and um, doesn't require their immediate attention. And I think the the takeaway that I did from, you know, that I had from that video, and I, I just think it's a fantastic principle to kind of think of when you're starting to feel stressed and overworked and overwhelmed is looking back at that list, writing out all of the tasks that are absolutely on your plate at the moment, and then going through with that red, amber, green prioritization process and seeing, you know, what can actually drop off the list that may not be as urgent as you think it might be. And where do you need to apply your attention so that you can actually appropriately carve up your time so that you're not drawing too much on yourself? I think that ER doctor was um, Daria Long, uh, which fantastic video, and we'll probably have to put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I even love the simplicity of the um, traffic light system in a way. We use a similar thing at Benny Button to traffic light how people are going when it comes to the eight core wellbeing and performance factors so they can get that clear signal as to where their attention can go. Um, and it is important. So these sorts of heuristics, when we were talking earlier about cognitive load and feeling a level of overwhelm, um, it's really important that we have uh, rules or processes or, or heuristics which just help us to cut through some of that overwhelm, cut through some of the, the volume of information that we need to process in order to get a clear signal in all of this noise as to what is deserving of my attention right now. Where do I need to allocate my energy, which may be quite finite with the time that's left today to... Um, progress what it is that I need to progress before I give myself an opportunity to disconnect and recharge outside of work as an example you know so these these uh, little systems and and tools and and heuristics are really important and and that's um, part of what what I do in my work as well help leaders to understand and employees to understand what are some basic questions that I can tap into so that there's a level of self-inquiry and self-awareness. Uh, where am I at? What's going on for me right now? What does need my attention? Your triage example is wonderful for that. And then in a similar vein, how can a leader step into that kind of inquiring role to have dialogue with their team? Okay, how are we going? What actions have we been taking? What do we need to prioritize next with our attention and energy? Um, where are there potential mismatches where we need a level of support or there's a resource we need to access how can i help you with that like these are the conversations uh, that that need to happen and when there are tools and heuristics around us that can support that hopefully we get a level of consistency in our businesses in doing that well mm. i mean I've, I've found myself just with some of my team members um, you know, simply asking a question of what can you triage? What, what are the things that you can actually put aside that don't require your immediate attention so that you can focus on the things that do, that are going to have a greater impact uh, right now? Um, I think I'd really like to talk about the notion of recovery because 
when we look at uh, high performance and in the context of a high-performing athlete, recovery is something that's really important for them to be able to sustain their high performance. Now, I think it's ingrained in Australian culture to only ever use our four weeks annual leave for a holiday to a beach, or in my case, preferably the snow. And with COVID and borders being closed and bubbles changing at last minute, we're not really planning any big holidays to use our annual leave. So I want to challenge people to actually rethink what annual leave should be used for and instead use it for performance recovery. So use that leave time to reset your brain or rest your eyes if you've been staring at a screen constantly. What are your thoughts on the notion of recovery and, and why is it so important when we're talking about sustaining high performance? Yeah, well, um, and I won't labour this because we have sort of spoken about it, but this is another opportunity for us to reinforce the idea that when we are um, attending to the demands that are on our plate in our work and life, we're performing in our work and life to do the things that are important, uh, to contribute the best of ourselves in both domains. Um, and we also need to recover the resources that we're drawing on in order to meet those demands. And if there's a period of um, performance push in work life or both, then sometimes taking a bit of time away to um, re-engage with and replenish important resources, including these um, well-being promoting resources is absolutely key, but it doesn't need to be a four-week chunk on a tropical island somewhere with cocktails and all the rest of it that we can envisage. And it feels good to uh, dream about that in a way, but um, what the research actually shows us is that shorter breaks more regularly will actually produce a really helpful effect because when we have this experience of being on holiday and rejuvenating and getting a level of, um, you know, getting that glow uh, that we get from, from a bit of time away in a, in a beautiful location, when we get back to work, uh, that glow dissolves. And as it turns out, the, the time that it takes for that glow to dissolve is very similar, whether it's an extended break or a short break. So the long weekend as an opportunity to integrate into our rhythms more frequently, um, you know, having an a, a extra couple of days doing the things that are important, that doesn't need to be traveling, um, can be a really valuable way to replenish and get that glow uh, from taking some time to disconnect and just engage with the things that matter to you most. And then doing that regularly will give you more opportunities for that glow um, across a calendar year. I love that idea of a long weekend to be able to top the bucket up and make yeah. sure that you're, you know, and again, it doesn't need to be sitting with a pina colada in your hand right. at a resort. It can absolutely be sitting at home and taking that time to read a book or yeah. to go for an extended walk or get out into nature or see some family and friends that you may not have seen over the last couple of months. Totally. Time is going to have just a positive impact on being able to sustain your performance as it would if you were going on a long European adventure. Yeah, and, and, and this is where if we want to get sciencey, this doesn't just sound like a good idea. The science even has some um, jargony terms like 
proactive vitality management. So when you were talking about the opportunity to use recovery as a performance enhancing strategy, it's very true. So even in times of high demand, when the performance pressures are very significant, individuals who engage in proactive vitality management, which is about identifying in a proactive sense the vitality replenishing activities that you can undertake, which could be making sure that I get out and do some gardening, uh, get out in the natural environment, do a hobby that's meaningful for me. That can be really powerful at replenishing the energy that you can then use when you get back into the performance pressures of a highly intense period of work. Um, we, can, we can be a lot more, I guess, proactive in, in identifying what are those things that fill up our resources, our, our buckets, our, our energies? What are the things that are really fulfilling and meaningful to us? And how do we make sure that we don't just exhaust ourselves pushing for that um, you know, idealistic holiday um, and instead we give ourselves the opportunity more regularly to, to do the things that help us to feel good and function at our best? Because when we don't, there are those risks of pushing towards that holiday and then getting to the holiday and getting sick straight away and not really being able to disengage from work for the first few days when you go on holiday. Um, so you're feeling a little bit down at the start of your holiday and then the panic of going back to work given the intensity that you just left behind. So there's, there's actually disadvantages of doing it in that extended block. <laughs> I'd even like to see our people commit to a certain number of hours sleep that they're going to get every night. I think sleep is such an important element and quite often that's the that's the first thing that starts to um, go in the wrong direction when we've got these high periods of uh, stress or, or overperformance. Uh, yeah. And sleep, we know, is so important when it comes to our own vitality and well-being. Um, but also our safety for others around us in the workplace. That's so true. And um, sleep is so important. And we like to situate sleep underneath the umbrella of rest because sleep is key. Getting quality uninterrupted sleep where we can is really important. Um, and sleep quality can be compromised if we're not practising the things that help us to disconnect from and rest our mind and our body um, that actually is a stepping stone towards better quality sleep because people can want to hit that number of hours of sleep um, but neglect to do the things in terms of their routine and the rhythms of their day that help them to let go of the end of a work day to switch off the devices so they can actually enter into a more restful mode that gives the opportunity for quality sleep? Well, I've had uh, quite a few ideas uh, through this conversation of the types of wellbeing goals that we could introduce for our people. I think sleep is obviously one of those. Um, incorporating some more activity or exercise into our daily work habits, um, certainly looking at our screen time and making sure that we have that time to switch off before we go to bed in the evening. Um, I was doing some reading over the weekend around uh, the lighting. So with our, I think it's circadian rhythm, the types of light that we have during the day um, obviously has a better improvement of the quality of sleep that we have um, at night. 
So it's been um, a fantastic conversation and I'm, I'm really grateful that you're able to join me today. I'm looking forward to continuing these conversations over the coming months. But before we say goodbye to our listeners, what's the one piece of advice that you would give someone who wants to improve their work and wellbeing balance? The one piece of advice. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because what came into mind is the way that um, Wim Hof actually says it, but I won't say it because he uses swear words, but um, truly something that's been transformative, not only in my life, but transformative when it comes to the research in this particular area is for people to breathe well. <laughs> um, and and it might sound simple and hopefully it doesn't sound fluffy or cliche, but truly the importance of breathing well can't be underestimated. The opportunity for us to take a moment to stop and just breathe well, um, it's powerfully restorative for our well-being and for our health down to the very levels of our DNA. Mindful breathing can be really powerful. But it's also really key for us to practice being attentive to our breath and being attentive to what's going on for our mind and body right here, right now, because that skill of being able to focus your attention on what's going on is a really important skill when it comes to performing effectively, focusing on that triage list to do the things that are most important instead of getting distracted by all the other interruptions. Um, and so the breath for me is the most important thing. And I said, to breathe well, well, what does that mean? Um, if you don't mind me taking just a moment, um, we can spend so much of our time breathing up in our chest. It can be a part, um, a result of sitting with our legs um, bent so that our belly breathing is less um, available to us. Maybe we have tighter clothes on. Um, and we don't breathe into our belly, but breathing up into our chest actually is part of the activation process for our nervous system. So it actually activates the fight or flight response. Um, now that chest breathing is exacerbated by being in front of a computer as well, because the posture of being in front of your computer actually gets you breathing shallow up in your chest as well. The so breathing well means breathing down into the belly or the diaphragm underneath your ribs. The other thing that's really important is breathing through our nose if it's not obstructed. Our nose, nostril breathing is fundamental when it comes to well-being and performance fuel, the, the resources we need to call on. So breathe through your nose, breathe into your diaphragm, make time regularly throughout the day between one task and the next to just give yourself a couple of easy mindful breaths um it's it's super super powerful i love that i've i've just found myself breathing a little bit differently now that you've spoken mm -hmm. about that um now i've got one more question because i know ace asks all of her guests this very important question but what are you curious about right now what i'm really curious about right now is uh, it's actually in alignment with what you're curious about with what you're doing integrating a wellbeing goal into your goal mastery framework. Um, so that's your pursuit and it's so admirable and, and I can't wait to, to hopefully support you more with that. 
Um, I'm similarly curious about how we can make sure that people are prioritizing their well-being needs, whether we call it self-care. Um, I don't really care what sort of positioning and labeling it gets. Integrating this as a priority, integrating it into the work and life rhythm, knowing that it has a seat at the table, a role to play, to do the things that are most important to you. And that means in your life, but also performing at your best. Um, I'm curious to see how leaders really do commit to that um, within the flow of work and within the flow of good leadership and in the discussions that they have with their employees. But I'm really curious as well to see whether employees finally take that responsibility because we see we see so often in people's natural patterns that they deprioritize their own needs when they push to meet certain obligations. And the time for us to all wake up to the importance of looking after ourselves, that there's this two-way street. Our organizations need to enable it. The leaders need to commit to that. But the individual is not passive in that. They need to hold themselves responsible as well for looking after themselves. Um, the two need to come together. That's what I'm curious to see happening and that's what I'm motivated to do. <laughs> I love that. You and me both. Um, so on that note, thank you so much for being my guest on today's show and thank you to our listeners for taking the time to reflect on their own wellbeing goals for this year. I think I might get up and go for a walk around the block and get some fresh air now. Um, Ace will be back for the next episode, but for now, thanks for having me.